The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We're taking a little break from going through a book of the Bible to go over some of the distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship, and those are just 20 bullet points that we came up with, principles that we pulled out of the Bible that we thought were priorities in a local church in terms of ministry. And they give just a quick glance as you look at these, they give you a good snapshot of what GBF is all about, what our priorities are, what our commitment is to. And so hopefully that's helpful for people who want to know what our church is about. And every week in the lobby there, there's a brochure that looks like this called Ministry Distinctives. Uh, And there are 20 of those. And we believe they come right out of Scripture. And the model for those distinctives, I believe, is the ministry of Jesus Christ and especially uh, the first church in the book of Acts. What did they give their priorities to? What were their commitments? And so that's what we're doing. There's 20 of them. I'm not going to preach on all 20, but I'm trying to uh, take some of the more important ones and all-inclusive ones and preach on those uh, because we haven't really taught on those or talked much about them in the last four years. And so this will help uh, some of our newer people and just be a great reminder to all of us of what the priorities of church ministry need to be because it gets foggy uh, in this world. So up to this point, we preached on expository teaching and preaching is a priority, and that's one of our distinctives. We also talked about membership, uh, every member accountable to the body of Christ. And then we also talked about biblical church discipline, which was last week. And this week we're looking at every believer equipped and contributing. Every believer equipped and contributing. And that is a very basic truth to what a church is all about and what a church should be doing. Thank you for the feedback that I've had each week of those first three sermons. have great feedback uh, from several of you, uh, not just compliments and cash prizes and that kind of stuff, but also good challenging questions, follow-up questions or uh, very personal questions relative to your life and or points of clarification that I needed to give. So I, I appreciate the, the feedback and interactions, edifying for me as well. So today we look at a very important principle, and that is every believer equipped and contributing and when you're a pastor or a shepherd, boy, this, this point should be very important to you and a priority for you, because I believe this distinctive actually is at the heart of what the job description of a pastor is. What is a minister to do? What is a pastor to do? What is a reverend to do? Run political campaigns and be a social activist or lead the soup line or do weddings and funerals or... On and on it goes. Uh, expectations and in the culture of what a pastor should be, but Scripture is really clear, and I believe that one of the most specific job descriptions of a pastor is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. We're going to look at that. And basically what it says, a shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer, bishop is supposed to be doing is what our very principle is about today. Every believer needs to be equipped and contributing, and that comes about by the leadership provided by local pastors and elders in every local church. Uh, To highlight this truth and try to make it practical, I've come up with six uh, principles for us today. Actually, the last one is a challenge, point number six, and make it uh, just to bring it home on a practical level. So let's look at the first five, and these are just kind of summary points uh, distilling down the biblical truth, hopefully in five understandable, easily manageable principles that we can all apply to our own life, examine our own heart, or examine our own church life uh, as we look at those. 
So today's topic, every believer, every Christian, equipped and contributing. Uh, as I was thinking about this, it kept coming back to my mind of how I grew up in the Catholic Church as a Roman Catholic, baptized as a Roman Catholic, and 12 years of Catholic school, 18 years going to the Catholic Church, traditional Roman Catholic home. And the experience I had going to a Catholic Church for 18 years is very different than what your typical evangelical or Protestant experiences by way of church. Many times I find that if you're just strictly a Protestant in your background, you don't have a clue what it was like growing up as a traditional Catholic. Um, for one thing, Catholics, at least I didn't, uh, you don't go to church on Sunday. Just You go to Mass. It's a huge difference. That's how I grew up. And as a Catholic growing up, this is just my own personal experience, you certainly didn't go to church with your Bible. That just, that just never happened. Um, you go to Mass. What is Mass? Well, the Mass is at the end of their service where the priest takes the bread and the wine and raises it up in the air and says a prayer and supposedly supernaturally turns the literal wine and the bread literally into Jesus' body. Literally. And he is immolated or he is crucified once again. Right there on the spot in a supernatural, invisible way, so that the death of Jesus as he's crucified each Sunday, that new immolation or sacrifice or crucifixion atones for a few more sins that happened in the last seven days or the last time that you went and had the Eucharist or what they call uh, communion. So that's what it was all about for me. Is you? So I would go to Mass and I would go into the facility and I would sit down or kneel down and I would be a spectator 100% of the time for that hour. And I would watch the priest do everything up here on the altar, it was called, culminating with the sacrifice of Jesus's first turning the bread and wine into Jesus's body and then him being sacrificed again. And then everybody comes up and takes and eats literally of Jesus's uh, body and his blood. And that covers an increment or a little bit of some of your sins that you committed. But then you'll have to Take it again because not all of your sins are covered by what you just ate at communion. And so while you're sitting there for an hour, uh, you're watching the priest do everything pretty much up here. And me, I was nothing but a spectator in the pews. And that's what it was like for 19 years going to the Catholic Church, going to Mass. The two churches that I grew up going to, uh, there was when, on a Sunday when you go to Mass, there was no nursery, there was no youth group, there was no Sunday school class. There were no programs. It was just zilcho. It was all about going to the Mass, getting Eucharist so you can get a little bit of your sins forgiven until the next time you go to Mass and get some of your sins forgiven again. Uh, so that when I became a Christian at age 19, I was pretty naive about what the biblical model of what going to church or being a part of the local church was all about because in the Scripture, uh, especially in the New Testament, the book of Acts, being a Christian is all about being a part of the body and being a specific member of the body with a gift to contribute and a service to perform and the power of God energized by the Spirit, contributing hands-on to the mutual growth and edification of the body of Christ. That was a concept that I didn't have and that they did not teach uh, when I was a Roman Catholic. Um, so for the most part, I understood religion and Christianity to be a spectator sport where I would come and I would watch the priest do everything and then I'd get my Eucharist and then I would leave. 
So Christianity was a spectator sport or spectator religion. Kind of like here in America where 20,000 overweight people go to a sports facility and watch 22 people who are very much in shape do a whole bunch of exercise. <laughs> and then all of us that are out of shape and overweight, we leave. because we were And we didn't do anything except eat popcorn and feed our face and pay money because it was a spectator sport to go watch basketball or football. And unfortunately, some people have carried that over into the Christian life. And they think that going to church is you just go and you hear a sermon and maybe throw some money in the plate and then you leave and that's it. And that's your Christian life. That is not the New Testament model. and We're going to see that today. Um, and so that truth, every believer equipped and contributing. Let's go ahead and look at what, well, then what is the biblical model if it isn't simply just being a spectator of religion while others perform and you watch. Five principles, let's go ahead and look at them. And it's selected scripture, so we'll be at different places. There's a lot of different places we could go. You can follow along quickly as possible, or you can listen to some of the key verses that I read. I'll slow down at certain parts, highlighting certain passages. But point number one, let's go ahead and look at it. God has equipped every believer for service. God has equipped every believer for service, every Christian. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. If you're not a Christian, you have nothing to bring to the table to offer to God in service to Him for the growth of the body. Nothing except your sin. That's the only thing that an unbeliever has that they can bring and offer God. The Christian, on the other hand, has been... Equipped by God Himself. God has equipped every believer. God has equipped every Christian for service. This is very important. You could be a new Christian or uh, an ignorant Christian. You haven't had much teaching on this. And you think like, oh, I'm supposed to be serving. Wow, I don't have much to contribute. I'm not uh, a high-profile 100-watt Christian. I'm only a 65-watt Christian. I don't have much to offer. Well, yeah, you do because God has equipped every believer for service. So let's look at some of those key truths. Uh, Two ways that... God equips every believer for service. Letter A was that uh, by giving every Christian a spiritual gift. God has given every Christian a spiritual gift. And also we've been prepared and equipped by God because that's point B. God has given every Christian the indwelling spirit of God that empowers us to serve. But first, let's look at the first point. God has equipped every Christian for service. When people want to join GBF and they we talk to them, that's a question that always comes up. Uh, what do you think your spiritual gift is? Do you have one? Some people struggle with that. Well, I'm not sure what it is. Some of some others uh, know exactly what it is. Yeah, here's my spiritual gifts. Here's where they are. Here's where I love to serve. And then there are some Christians who they want to minimize that concept. Well, it doesn't really, spiritual gifts really don't matter. It's just about serving and being faithful. And I'd say, no, yeah, it really does matter because it's in the Bible. God said it about six times. So you can't minimize the Bible. You can't pick and choose what verses you want to like and accentuate and dismiss others. And that, as a pastor for 20 years at different churches, that has always amazed me and, and baffled me. Bible-believing, Bible-loving Christians that you interact with who at times will put a priority and premium on some biblical truths, whether it's the sovereignty of God or the inerrancy of Scripture or uh, the purity and simplicity of salvation in Christ or the creation is literal in Genesis 1, which it is, and believe that with great passion, but when it comes to the fact that God has equipped you with a spiritual gift that He wants you to use and serve in the local body, they just kind of, they aren't passionate about it. I don't get it. Why are you not passionate about it? It's in Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. 
So all scripture is required of the believer to pay attention to and give 100% consideration to, even if it's not your favorite concept or conviction. And so this is true here on a very practical level. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. Uh, There are four key places where the New Testament uh, highlights the reality that every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. I just want to highlight a couple of those. If you have your Bible, you can look at uh, 1 Peter 4.10. In the 70s and 80s, it was kind of the in thing to fight and argue among Christians about spiritual gifts, all the way from do the gifts exist or not, when do they pass away, uh, which ones still exist, and on and on, and whole charismatic issue, and that's kind of died down and but we still need to give attention to it. First Peter 4.10. Actually, 4, 10 and 11 go together. Uh, Peter says to the saints in that area that he was dealing with, he said, as each one, verse 10, as each one or as each Christian, he's talking to believers. As each one has received a special gift. As each one has received a gift. He's reiterating the truth. Every Christian has a gift. He's reminding them because some of them forgot about it. Some of them were ignorant of it. God has given you a spiritual gift if you are a Christian. It's undeniable. I remember at one church I served at, there was an influential fella in the church, kind of the senior saint, and this came up in a staff meeting. All the pastors were talking about it, and the senior pastor was given a devotion on spiritual gifts and equipping the saints, and then the senior saint chimed in and said, ah, that's spiritual gift stuff. That's overrated. And he wanted to say, it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. Who cares? All God cares about is a serving heart. And I'm thinking, no, God does care because it's in Scripture. It's in the scripture right here. It's an imperative right here. So spiritual gifts do matter. So you can't just be dismissive towards this. So Peter goes on as each one, every single Christian has received a gift. When did that happen? It happens at salvation. The moment you're saved, the Spirit of God comes and takes residence in you and then enlivens or uh, brings about the reality of a spiritual gift that God wants you to use. Or it could be several gifts or a combination of gifts. And they are specific. They're even delineated in Scripture. So this is basic. Every Christian has received a spiritual gift at salvation. And then Peter says this. Here's the exhortation. Employ it. Use it. You are obligated to serve with your gift. The implication, according to Peter, is that Peter knew there were probably Christians out there who were not using their gifts. They weren't serving with what God has gifted them with. Hence, the exhortation and the command. Use it. Employ it. You're a steward and responsible for the gift that God has given you. That's, he goes on to say that. As each Christian has received a special gift, employ it. Use it. Doing what? Don't, you don't use it for yourself to build up yourself, to bring attention to yourself, to edify yourself. Gifts are for serving others. They are other-oriented. Gifts are to serve others, to build up the church, to glorify God. 100% other-oriented. And that's what he says, employ your gift in serving one another. They are gifts of service. To serve one another. And the one another really, first and foremost, is talking about the local church. This is also very important that I have experienced as a pastor. Because there are Christians sometimes who go to church and identify with the church and you never see them around and they're not serving anywhere. And then you ask them about this verse and uh, several other verses. Oh, I'm serving. Well, where are you serving? Oh, I serve uh, in my job. I serve in my neighborhood. I serve at the street. I serve at my local school. I serve... Well, that's great that you serve because we need to be salt and light in a dark and perverse world. That, that is true. But that is not what this is talking about. Uh, the four references to a Christian having a spiritual gift given by the Spirit of God 
using it and employing it and serving it is all in the context of the local church. So if you're a Christian, God's given you a spiritual gift and you need to be using that spiritual gift in the local church with your local body that you identify with. That is the context that is clear from Scripture. So employ your gift, use it in serving one another, fellow believers in your local church. And here's the key at the end of verse 10. As good stewards, a gift. Your spiritual gift is a gift that God gave you and and you are a steward of it. I am a steward of it. And a steward is responsible for something that somebody gave us that we don't own. It's a blessing that somebody else gave us that they own. They gave it to us freely and we have to give it back or we have to give account back for how we used the gift they gave us. That is what a spiritual gift is. God gives every Christian a spiritual gift or multiple spiritual gifts. He wants us to use it and someday he's going to hold us accountable for using that gift. That's what Peter means right here. And that's going to be one of our points in just a, a second. So use your spiritual gift. Use it to serve others. Use it to serve others in the body of Christ as good stewards. If you don't use it in the local church, you are a bad steward. Literally, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Not a faithful and good servant, slave, a, a good s- steward of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God refers to the fact that the gifts that God gives are various. They are diverse. Not every Christian gets the same gift. And Paul says that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll see that also in Romans 12. So, again, just very basic. God has equipped every Christian with a spiritual gift. And there are people and there are Christians, and I can understand this uh, attitude they have sometimes, that they they have an aversion to spiritual gift inventories and tests. I don't know if you've ever been forced to take one of those. I have Sit down and you take it and you, ask, you answer the 92 questions that's supposed to tell you what your gift is. They don't always work, by the way. And I've seen some uh, bad inventories and uh, surveys given for spiritual gifts because some of the things listed on there are not spiritual gifts. They're not biblical. I mean, uh, one that they routinely put on there is uh, the gift of pastor, which is a spiritual gift, but they'll allow it to be applied to anybody, a teenage kid, some lady, whatever. And there's no boundaries whatsoever. Uh, another one that I took where it took things out of the days of Moses from the Old Testament where the Spirit of God came upon two guys who were incredibly gifted to build uh, the t- temple or the tabernacle and do all kinds of fantastic, amazing, supernatural artwork. And that was listed as a spiritual gift of the church. That's not a spiritual gift of the church. So that was totally taken out of context. So I can understand those Christians who are you know, a little gun-shy about taking the uh, spiritual gift test. You don't have to take a spiritual gift test just to put you at ease to find out what your gift is. There's actually an easier way to find out what your gift is, and that's pray to God and ask Him, God, reveal what you, the giftedness you have given me, and then you start serving in the local church, and then saints around you, filled with the Spirit of God, will identify where you are strong, where you contribute, where you are a blessing, and usually that's a good indicator. That is probably your spiritual uh, area of giftedness, and you can grow in your gifts as well. So... But here's the main truth. God has equipped every single Christian with a spiritual gift to be used in service to him. Uh, Another important truth. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 because I want to read that. That gives us further context, laying the foundation uh, about spiritual gifts and serving. And I said there are key passages if you want to do further study on spiritual gifts and serving. Romans 12 is key. 1 Corinthians 12 is key. Actually, 12 through 14. Ephesians chapter 4. And First Peter chapter 4. And let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the middle of verse 3 down to verse 8, where Paul talks about spiritual gifts and serving in the local church. 
starting at the middle of verse 3, he says, Okay, Christian, think so as to have sound judgment. And he's saying, evaluate yourself and be objective and honest about yourself. How God has made you, how God has wired you, what kind of Christian you are. Every Christian is a light bulb, but every Christian has been given a different wattage by God. You're supposed to give off light. You're supposed to serve. Some Christians are 50-watt light bulbs and 65-watt light bulbs and 75-watt light bulbs. And wow, then every once in a while in world history, there's a 100-watt light bulb. And that's okay. That's exactly what Jesus means in Matthew 25, where he blesses three different stewards with the gift of five, the gift of two, and the gift of one. They have different measures of faith, says Paul right here. But it's all a blessing. If you're a 75-watt light bulb, don't be ashamed. Be proud of it. Shine for Jesus at 75 watts. The idea is just to reach your capacity and fullness and service to him. So that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, verse 3. Think so as to have sound judgment about yourself. Evaluate yourself properly. Don't have an undervalued evaluation of yourself. Oh, woe is me. I can't do anything. Or you know, an overestimation of yourself and think that you're the next Charles Spurgeon or whatever when you aren't. Let's be realistic here. There was only one of those. So be honest in evaluating yourself. And if other people need to help you in being honest about yourself, that's a good thing. As God has, here it is, as God has allotted to each Christian a measure of faith. And it's different measures. And that's talking about measure of faith with respect to your spiritual giftedness. Verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body. So GBF has, we have 200 people. There's many members, but they're not all the same. And that's the second part of verse four. And all have the, and all the members do not have the same function. We don't want everybody using and having the same function. I have the gift of teaching, I, I hope. Um, but we don't want everybody preaching from the pulpit and doing nothing else. Cause then you'd have a lopsided, uh, body of Christ and we would distort its growth. So the, the body of Christ is like a human body with many parts that complement the growth toward one goal. So we have many gifted people, many different members, a great diversity. That is God's wisdom, his beauty, his plan. So not everybody has the same gift or function. That's what he's saying in verse 5. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6. And since we have gifts that differ, there it is. We have gifts that, we have gifts, there it is. Every Christian has a spiritual gift or more than one. Some people would accuse our church and our theology that we don't believe in spiritual gifts because we think that some of the gifts have passed away and have become obsolete or have become idle. For example, the spiritual gift of um, apostle. Apostleship is called a spiritual gift in Ephesians 4.11 and also in 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul explicitly says it's a spiritual gift. It is the first gift that God gave the church, by the way, because the apostles laid the foundation. And yet there are no apostles today. The gift of apostleship does not exist anymore. It is obsolete. And so when I say that, some people falsely assume, oh, so you don't believe in any of the gifts. No, actually, I do. I believe in all the gifts that are functioning today. And we find them in Scripture. Uh, So we go on. Verse 6, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. See, God is the one that sovereignly determines what your gift is. You don't get to pick and choose. God, I'd like one of those, and I'd like to preach every once in a while. Can I have a teaching, and I'd like one of those? That isn't how it works. 
or I want the gift of tongues. No, God sovereignly gives the gift as he so chooses because he knows best. It's his church. That's what that means. Um, We differ in our gifts. Graciously given to us, verse 6, as a result, let each exercise them accordingly. And he says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then exercise that according to the proportion of your faith. That's another supernatural divine revelation gift that I believe that no longer exists because Paul said that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets who gave direct revelation. Then the other gifts he mentions, verse 7, there's probably some of you who have the gift of service, then serve. There are others who have the gift of teaching, then teach, verse 8. There are those of you who have the gift of exhortation, then exhort. There are others who have the gift of giving, then give. Did you know giving was a spiritual gift? Very important. It goes on in verse 8. There are those of you that have the gift of leading, then lead and do it with diligence. And also, some of you have the gift of mercy, do it with compassion and cheerfulness. So those are just some of the gifts. He doesn't exhaust them, but he's giving examples. So the point is, is that they are different. They vary. They all complement one another like a, a football team that has 11 players on the field and not, and not one person has the exact same job. They all have different duties that complement one another for the same goal. And that's true of the church. So God has equipped every believer for service in the local church. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Um, and then I put down there, let's go ahead and look at Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16 talks about the Spirit of God. Romans 8 says that if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And Paul goes on to say, if you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, then you're not a believer, you're not a Christian. Um, Actually, Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul in that whole section is talking about the Holy Spirit who lives inside every believer. And the Holy Spirit has different responsibilities inside of you. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, convicts me of sin. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and the Holy Spirit also allows us to walk in obedience as we serve God with the right heart and the right attitude. And the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us also produces uh, godly attitudes in our life that result in godly actions and words. And those are called the fruits of the Spirit. And that is the, the sphere in which we are to serve in the local body. We use our gift in service to the church empowered by the Spirit of God. In other words, you're not supposed to be serving the church using your gifts or your natural abilities and the power of the flesh because that's possible to do. Because some people have been blessed by God with amazing natural abilities. And God says, no, I want you serving energized by the Spirit of God. So uh, I just made reference to Galatians 5, but the one I want to read is actually Acts 1.8 where it talks about being equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do service in the church and in the world on behalf of Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is right after the resurrection, just before Jesus' ascension. The apostles came up to Jesus and said, are you going to restore the kingdom of God now that you're risen from the dead? And Jesus said, not now. As a matter of fact, you don't even need to know when. That's in God's timetable. What you need to be concerned about while you're waiting for the return of Christ is to occupy yourself with faithful service and ministry. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Jesus said this to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 8, But you, Christian, here it was you, the apostles, but the same is also true for us. You, Christian, you shall receive power. There it is. You, you shall receive supernatural power. When? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what happens. Anytime a Christian gets saved, the moment they're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of them and literally gives them supernatural power and ability to serve the body of Christ in a way that pleases God. And for the first time in your life, you can actually do human works 
for God that are not considered filthy rags. Because that's a reference in Isaiah. Talking about somebody who's an unbeliever trying to earn their salvation through human works. And God says, it doesn't matter what you do if you don't know me and you're trying to do service in the flesh, it's filthy rags. But for the Christian, serving in the power of the Holy Spirit of God with the right attitude, that those works please God. They please Christ. And that's why in Matthew 25, Jesus said, good and faithful servant. Thank you for your faithful service and ministry and stewardship. That was Jesus's uh, assessment of faithful service. So Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that theme of the indwelling Holy Spirit empowering Christians to serve is all throughout the New Testament. Point being, God has thoroughly equipped every single Christian with the ability to serve and minister in the local church through the spiritual gifts that he has given them that start at the point of salvation and the supernatural power that enables them through the Holy Spirit of God. That's point number one. Point number two, after God has equipped every believer for service, point number two is that church leaders need to equip every believer for service. So Christians need to learn about spiritual gifts. They need to learn how to serve and how it's appropriate. This is what Jesus did for three years with his apostles. It was training time, and Jesus trained his apostles for service in two main ways. He prepared them with teaching of the Word of God and also by modeling. That's how Jesus taught. Verbal instruction from the Word of God and by modeling how to do it. I think of Matthew 6 when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then he said, this is how to pray. He literally did an example prayer for them. So he didn't just verbalize and give them information. He actually modeled how to do it. He, he washed their dirty feet and then he said, I want you to love each other like I just did it for you. So you've got all these examples of modeling that Jesus did on behalf of his apostles to show them how to minister. And shepherds, elders, leaders in the church, they need to do the same thing for their people. It's not just sit up here and pontificate and you need to do this. It's you need to do this as I do this in service to Christ. That's why the apostle Paul said, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. So the leaders in a local church, they need to be on the cutting edge, the front lines of ministry and service to the local church because they need to be the visible model. So that's how church leaders are supposed to equip the saints. This, the key passage here is Ephesians 4. There's a lot of them we can look at, but I do want to highlight Ephesians 4 because it's so important. And I alluded to it earlier. Uh, so let's look at Ephesians 4. Or the Apostle Paul, that whole, the whole theme of Ephesians 4, up through the middle of the passage, culminates with Paul talking about how God is growing the church. Well, how does God grow the church? Well, he equips them himself, but he also uses the leaders in the church to be a part of the process of equipping. Church leaders need to equip every believer. So looking at Ephesians 4, um, 11 and 12, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, verse 7 says that Christ gave gifts to the church to help grow the church, to build the church. And there was a sequence. There was an order in which he gave gifts to the church. The first thing he did is he wanted to lay the foundation of the church, and he did that by giving the church apostles and prophets to give biblical doctrine. And from that, everything else was able to grow and flourish. So that's verse 11. Jesus gave gifts to the church, and here were the gifts. He gave some as apostles. So some of these spiritual gifts were actually offices or men that men occupied. 
So God first gave apostles to the church, and then some he gave as prophets. They laid the foundation of the church. And then he continued to give some as evangelists in the church, preaching the gospel, which helps in church planting. We still have that today, I believe. And after apostles and prophets and evangelists, then God gave pastors to the church. It's interesting that during the ministry of the apostles, the early ministry of the apostles and the prophets in the book of Acts, there's no mention of any pastors. They are mentioned until later. Because the apostles were pastors. They functioned as a pastor, but then the apostles were gone and there's no more apostles and no more prophets. But the ministry of the church and leadership of the church needed to continue and perpetuate and that's why God called pastors to do that very thing. To fill the void and carry on the baton that started with the apostles and the prophets. And so God gave pastors to the church. Pastors, the same thing as an elder. Pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, same thing. And God also gave teachers to the church. You can be a teacher in the church and not be a pastor. You can be a teacher in the church and not be an elder. You can be the teacher in the church and not be a man. We have a teacher in our church right now that's teaching our youth, our children, who's a woman, and we have some females, and they're doing a fantastic job. They have the gift of teaching. It's a beautiful thing. So these leaders that God has put in the church, why did God give pastors to the church? Well, here's their job description. Here's my job description, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, to prepare the saints, to give the resources that the saints need to serve. Practical resources and also teaching resources and biblical knowledge to equip the saints. Saints need to be equipped. Saints need to be prepared and trained. Not just sit there and soak it in and become a sponge and have no output. That is not the goal. The goal is to be prepared, trained so that you can grow, so that there can be output, so that you can serve others. You are thoroughly equipped. And you're thoroughly equipped from Scripture and modeling that is set before you. That's God's ideal. So pastors need to be equipping the saints. The saint, that means every Christian. Every, if you are a Christian this morning, you are a saint. I don't care what your mother said about you. You are a saint. You are a holy one, saved, set apart by Jesus Christ, forgiven of your sins in Christ because of his death and resurrection on your behalf and my behalf. We are holy right now. We don't have to wait till we die and then 30 years later and have two miracles in our name and then get a vote of canonization and then maybe we'll be a saint. No. The moment you got saved, you were sanctified, set apart, made holy. You are a saint in the eyes of Jesus Christ. That is awesome. And the pastors are supposed to be equipping the saints, equipping all believers so that they can do the work of the ministry. It is work. Why? What, why does every Christian need to be serving, doing the work of the ministry in the local church? The goal is at the end of verse uh, 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's how a local church grows. As a pastor, I want our church to grow, and not just in numbers. Boy, I can't wait. We need 500 people so I can get a bigger paycheck. We need 700 people so we'll be really popular. We need 1,000 people so we can be called a mega church in Christianity today. That's not what I'm talking about. My heart's desire is for our church to grow. And what that means first and foremost is that every person who is saved in our congregation that is a member of our church is growing in their personal walk with Jesus Christ. It's not just growing in... Breath. It is growing in depth in your intimacy with God, being an obedient in all areas of your life. That is the goal. And when every individual Christian is growing that way, then when they all come together like a healthy cell, they're, they're building and allowing the corporate body of Christ to grow and mature. That's my goal as a pastor. That is the goal of this passage. We need to be using our gifts. Pastors need to be doing their job equipping every Christian so that they can serve. And every Christian needs to be serving in their local church so that the body of Christ can grow and 
mature, that's verse 13. Look at this. We need to keep growing until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Get this, to a mature man. We need to be a mature local church. Again, that's growth. Do I believe in church growth? Absolutely. Before all the flurry of church growth books that were written in the 70s and 80s with the wrong emphasis, God wrote about church growth from a biblical point of view right here. The goal of our church, we need to grow. We need to mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. We need to be speaking the truth in love and we are to grow up. There it is again. There's this theme. Our church needs to grow. We need to mature and we can't do it alone. We can't do it just with the elders and just with the deacons and just with the select few Christians who have a ministry in the church. It's got to be every Christian that is truly born again in the local church contributing to that growth. Look at verse 16. We need to grow up. Christ is the head. We are the body. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, every believer at the local church needs to be involved, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. What does that mean? If you're a Christian, you're a joint, a body joint. And you need to be supplying. You need to be flexing. You need to be working. You need to be contributing. That's what it means. Every joint, every member, not just some. From whom the whole body of Christ being fitted and held together. That's a growing body. That's a growing baby. And it's growing up. That's the imagery here. Well, how is it growing? Well, because everybody's contributing to its growth. By that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Every Christian needs to know their gift, use their gift, serve with their gift, do it faithfully. That's what he's talking about. Every single one, each individual part. And look at this. Each individual part causes the growth. That's how you grow as a church. That's why as a pastor, I care. I care about every member. I care about their maturity. I care about their growth. I care about their faithfulness. I care about their attendance. I care about um, if they're involved in small group. And I care about their ministry and where they are serving in the local church. I monitor that 24 hours a day or at least when I'm awake. Because I know this is God's will. For every Christian, for every local church. And I'm responsible for it. The elders are accountable for this. Our members need to be serving. Because this is what causes the growth. Not the latest fad of a business technique. Or some fancy worldly model that some high profile church in world, uh, or church is using that is bringing in masses of people. That isn't what it's about. That doesn't cause growth. This is what causes growth. It's the end of verse 16. This is what causes growth. God's plan, God's way. And church leaders need to equip the saints so that they're in a position to do that. Training, modeling. Also, I put down there, there are other things that leaders need to do. Not only do we need to train and model, we also need to explain to them what service means. And that means ministry, local church ministry, uh, with the right attitude and service to God for His good, for His glory. And then also at the end, we need to be giving opportunities to our saints to serve. Maybe some saints aren't serving because they don't know where to serve. That could be a legitimate concern. Then you need to ask your elders. Your elders are responsible. Your pastors are responsible for making sure there are opportunities for you to serve. So there's got to be good communication. Two-way communication is absolutely key. So point number two, church leaders need to equip every believer for service. Number three, every Christian is commanded to serve regularly in the local church. And we've, we've covered a lot of this. It is not uh, an option. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. This command is just as binding as the Ten Commandments were. 
The command to serve in the local church is just as binding and important to God as any other imperative or command you see in the New Testament. Every Christian is commanded by God to serve regularly in the local church. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, through love, serve one another. That is a command. You need to be serving. And you do it with a heart of love. You do it with the right motive. But it's a command. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10, we already read this. As each one of you as a Christian has received a special spiritual gift from God, employ it, serve it, use it. That's a command. It's not an option. And every single one of us will be held accountable for that command. How did you use your gift in the local church during your life on earth that I gave you, Christian? That's what Jesus will say. It's a command. Let's go on to number four. God grows and builds the church through the service of the saints. This is an amazing truth. It's a beautiful truth. And it's a complimentary truth. Complimentary to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said and promised before he died, before he rose again in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus told Peter and the apostles, I will build my church. How does the church grow? Well, it starts, Jesus grows the church. Jesus builds the church, right? That's what Jesus said. I will build the church. GBF has grown numerically from 50 to 200. Well, how'd that happen? Well, first and foremost, Jesus has built the church. He brought people here sovereignly. He did things supernaturally. He answered prayer. He worked through his spirit. He worked through his word. So in a very real sense, Jesus is leading the charge. He's the head of the church. He builds the church. Jesus said he would. But here's a blessed truth in the New Testament. Not only does Jesus build the church, Jesus has decided to build the church through his people. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the master shepherd. Some of us are under shepherds. Jesus builds the church, yet every Christian is a co-laborer with Christ in building the church. So who builds the church? Well, Jesus does and God does and every Christian does or is supposed to. It's a joint effort. He leads the construction site. And we all get to work on it. First uh, Corinthians 3.9, Paul said, we are fellow workers. We are fellow workers. He's talking about we co-labor with God in building the church. Isn't that an amazing truth? We co-labor. What a privilege to co-labor with God, to work alongside somebody who is just... Uh, the quintessential example of doing it right. That would be like having the privilege to play on a basketball team with Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whatever, and they are by your side. And Jesus is perfect. And we get to be a co-laborer with him, a partner with him in building the church. Ephesians 2.10 says this. The Apostle Paul says, We got saved by grace through faith apart from works, but works are important because in 2.10, he says, For we as Christians, we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. He saved us. He created us in Christ Jesus. He saved us. And He saved us for a reason. He saved us for good works. For the purpose of good works. Well, what, what good works? Well, the works that we should be doing first and foremost in the local church. And these works, it says amazingly that God prepared these works for you before the foundation so that you might walk in them and be obedient. So God has a ministry for you. He has a calling for you. He has gifts for you. He has work for you to do in the local church. And that blueprint was planned by God before eternity, isn't it? In eternity past. That is amazing. Before creation, God looked down the quarters of time and he determined sovereignly, I will create a McManus or fill in your name. I will save him. He is one of my elect. I will empower him. And this will be his calling in life to help build the church that I will hold him accountable for. That is true of you if you're a Christian. It's sobering and it's exciting at the same time. Uh, Ephesians 4.12, to the building up of the body of Christ by that which every joint supplies. God grows and builds the church through the service of the saints. That's why every single member needs to be involved 
at some point, some level. Number five, every Christian will be held accountable for serving in the local church. First Peter 4.10, we already looked at it. Because the spiritual gift that you have, you are called a steward of that gift. A steward is always accountable to the higher authority. So I believe at the Bema judgment, when we die, we go to the, before the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and we will be held accountable for many things. One of those things is the spiritual gifts that he gave us and how we employed those in the local church. And that's Matthew 25, where it says the Lord Jesus is going to leave for a long time. It says after a very long time. It's been 2,000 years. Very long time, starting at verse 14 in Matthew 25. And But before he leaves, he gives his saints different Stewardship gifts. Here, you get five blessings. You get five gifts. You get two gifts. You get one gift. Use those. I will be back. You must give an account to me. How did you invest by using that gift faithfully? And then Jesus comes back and he takes an accounting of those who had five, those who had two, and those who had one. The one that had one talent, buried it in the ground, didn't do anything with it. The other two had their talents they invested them, they used them, they employed them, and Jesus commended them equally, saying, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with a little, a little bit. I will entrust you to even more in heaven. And that's what Jesus is going to say to every single one of us in light of the giftedness he has given us with respect to the ministry in the local church. Because the only thing that Jesus has or cares about long-term in terms of its perpetuity on planet Earth, the only entity that he wants to invest in and cares about long-term is the church. Because it's the only thing he promised to perpetuate all throughout history and even into eternity. It's his precious bride. And the way he grows that bride is through the ministry and service of the saints in the local church. That's why it is so important to Jesus Christ and to God himself. And that's why we're going to be held accountable. Uh, a couple other verses there. Paul told Timothy, you're going to be accountable for your spiritual gift. You're a good, you need to be a steward of it. First Timothy 4.10, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, Timothy. Second uh, Timothy 4.1, Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and we are accountable to him. So every Christian will be held accountable for serving in the local church with service and their gifts. And then finally, number six, every member at GBF, this is the practical application or evaluation that you can do in your own heart where you're at. You don't need to be overwhelmed with guilt because some of you might be in a, a place of transition, teaching, prayer, waiting on God. Some of you are fully employed, faithfully serving, and you are an absolute blessing to your local body. But every, every Christian should be able to answer the following three questions. Or the first two, actually. Uh, the first question. And I put there, every member at GBF should be able to answer the following. When technically, every Christian should be able to answer the following question because every Christian should be involved in serving in a local church. First question. My regular ongoing ministry at GBF is... Boom, and then you fill in the blank. Write it down. Some of you have several ministries that you do. And that's that's God's will. That is a huge blessing. And that that has caused growth in our church because of your faithful services. The elders meet every single Sunday for prayer before church starts, before Sunday school. I don't think hardly a Sunday goes by where the elders are not thankful to God for the faithful servants at our church who serve in all the various ministries. Because we know that's what it's all about. That's how God causes the growth. 
So my regular ongoing ministry at GBF is blank. Fill it in. Uh, next question you should be able to answer if you're a member of GBF. The elder over my ministry is boom. If you are serving in a ministry on a regular basis at GBF, there should be an elder who's not just overseeing, but is also a point of contact for you, a point of resource for you, a point of if you need to go to somebody to talk to. I mean, all the elders should be a resource, but and actually we're fine-tuning that. We're trying to, man, we recently identified all the ministries at GBF, and it was, I think, 40. I was like, whoa, that's a lot, because it didn't used to be that many. But we have the conviction that but every one of those ministries needs a point of contact by way of a specific elder that can be a resource. And so we're working on that right now and trying to figure that out and seek God's wisdom and divvy that up. And then we have to communicate that to you. So those are just two great, challenging, practical questions. Uh, the last one is, for those maybe who aren't serving, and that's, uh, I am not serving regularly in the local church because, and there are legitimate reasons that you might be able to answer that, and there might be illegitimate reasons by which you would answer that. Some legitimate answers might be, uh, I'm kind of new to the church and I'm still trying to figure things out and determine if I even want to go here and be part of this body. That's totally legit. Um, and then the other legit one is I'm a relatively new Christian and I haven't had a whole lot of teaching on this. And I know I was that way for five years as a former Catholic. It, it took me a long time to understand God's program for his church. I think the first five years of my life, I didn't have a ministry in the local church. As a Christian, first five years, I didn't have a regular... I couldn't answer these two questions. And then finally I got a lot of teaching on it and then I was like, oh, now I understand. And the Spirit of God enlightened me. And then there was accountability in my local church too. When somebody came up, point, an elder, and said, where are you serving? Um, what do you mean? And then my answer was, nowhere. And he said, well, we'll see you in children's church next Sunday at 1030. And you will just sit there and watch for three Sundays. Okay. And that's when it all began, actually. So there are legitimate reasons why you might not be serving. Um, illegitimate reasons that I've seen over the years. From Christians who are not serving on a regular basis. Uh, I don't want to. It's kind of a scary attitude for a Christian. Another one. I don't feel like it. Uh, another one. Well, it's not necessary. And I, Well, it is necessary because God said so. That's how he causes the growth. Uh, another one I mentioned at the outset was, well, I'm serving elsewhere. I serve at my Christian school. I serve at my public school. I serve... At the beach on Saturdays when I tell people about Jesus. Well, that's that's not ministry in the local church using your gift for the edification and growth of the body of Christ. So you're not fulfilling that mandate that God has so clearly given. So there needs to be information and conviction and the understanding of a biblical model in order to fulfill that. So uh, as you evaluate your own heart, uh, the question is, you know, where are you? If you're serving faithfully, thank God. And remember also your attitude in service. Why do we serve in the local church? Uh, it's not because you're being manipulated and coerced and made to feel guilty by the elders or this sermon. So if you feel guilty about this sermon, that's probably a good thing on the one hand, but that shouldn't be the motive for serving. The motive for serving is, number one, why do we serve in the local church anyway on a regular basis? Well, because God said to. Now, if that was the only reason, that's sufficient, isn't it? Because God said to. But there are other reasons in Scripture given of why you should be serving on a regular basis because you need to serve others in the body to encourage them, to minister to them, to wash their feet as Jesus said to because it blesses them. So there's two great reasons why you should be serving regularly in your local church because God said so and it blesses others.
And then the big picture reason is the one Paul laid out in Ephesians 4. Because God is going to cause the corporate growth of the local church and the global church through the ministry of the saints as they use their gift faithfully in the local church. So you're going to contribute literally to the growth of the corporate body starting right here at GBF. That is an awesome prospect. We can all contribute to that. That is amazing. We can be co-laborers with Jesus who builds the church. And we are we just hand him the bricks. Here you go, Jesus. Gladly. And he's the master builder. And he builds it to perfection. And just simply in obedience as slaves doing what he wants us to do. We get to be a part of the process. So there's three great reasons of why you should be serving in your local church on a regular basis because God said so, because it blesses others and it contributes to the growth of the body of Christ. And that is God's desire. After all, you are preparing the bride of Christ. Don't you want Jesus' bride to look good on wedding day? Taking great care with the dress and the ornaments and everything else that God is investing all this time in His beautiful, precious bride. You get to literally invest in yourself, preparing yourself for wedding day. What an awesome prospect. That's what it's all heading to. The beautiful wedding day of Jesus Christ with his body. Now, if you have specific questions about, well, I'd like to serve, but I don't know where, or you're overwhelmed thinking, wow, now I've got to dedicate 10 hours a week to service. You don't. You've just got to find somewhere. It could be very small. It could be, uh, I think, of I've got a team of nursery teardown people that's coming together, that God is putting together. And I think the average age is 11 years old. And we got like six people. That's that's awesome. They do it regularly. They do it faithful. They, faithfully, they take it seriously. That is a significant ministry in the church. It blesses many people. It blesses families. It frees me up so I don't have to do it, so I can be available for the saints out here after the service where I need to be. So that ministry that hardly anybody sees is just as significant as any other ministry in the church. And there are things you can, maybe you're an early morning person. You can come in the morning and set up. Probably not many of those on planet Earth. But anyway, and then maybe you're uh, not a morning person. You, you could help at after church and be a part of a team that tears down. And that's another thing. Uh, that's a responsibility of the leaders to make sure whatever teams we have, we're not overburdening people so that they get burned out and the onus is falling on just a few people. It needs to be spread out. So we have openings on the setup team. We have openings on teardown after church in all various areas. And we need more people doing that. We need people to be a part of the fellowship meal, either setup or teardown. There's always room for that as that ministry blesses so many people. Um, and if you don't know what your spiritual gift is or where to serve, then just start serving. Start doing something. Start, ask deacons. Ask elders. Where can I serve? Ask me. And we'll think. We'll pray together. Here's a place that you can serve. Take you 15 minutes on a Sunday. Every other Sunday, you will be faithful. Other people will be blessed. God will grow his church and you will be a good and faithful slave before Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. Keep it in prayer. And we will all work on this together as we trust God that he's going to continue to build his church universal, but also the local body here at GBF, all for his glory. And with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for the treasure of your word. God, it is the depths are unfathomable to the truth of Scripture. And at the same time, it is so practical, sometimes so easy to understand. Your plan is divine for how you want to build the church. Thank you for saving sinners and making them saints. Thank you for equipping them, all of us, with the Spirit of God inside of us, spiritual gifts to employ on your behalf. Thank you for growing, GBF. God, we need to depend on you for more growth. Help us.
God, if there's any believers and saints out there who don't know where to serve, God, uh, lead them. Give them wisdom. Allow them to talk to somebody to find a place to serve and remind all of us to do it with the right attitude and it's in service to you. We serve God first before we serve men and we do it all for your glory. We thank you for the privilege as we commit our time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.